The reading today is from Genesis 1, verses 1, 2, 9, and 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. All right, what's going on? Are we good? Yeah. So, um, my name is Tommy, uh, I'm the pastor here, and normally we are going through books of the Bible. We have been going through Second Peter, we did First Peter and then Second Peter. Um, we have a baptism service coming up in like two or three weeks, and... I wanted to talk about baptism, and I did some preparation while I was on vacation for the baptism service, and I wrote down a whole bunch of notes, and I was like, okay, I'll just preach a sermon on baptism, and I did, and it took up like a fraction of the notes that I gathered and wrote, and I was like, well, I got to do all this stuff, so I'm doing a second week on baptism, so here we are, welcome to week two of baptism. Um, Next week, who knows, maybe we'll do baptism uh, message again, we probably won't, we'll probably do second Peter, but I don't want to show my cards. Surprises are important. Um, Okay, so uh, let's pray and let's dive into this passage. Father, we love you. We thank you for bringing everyone in this room together. Thank you for the way that you are growing uh, many of us and you are bringing many of us to repentance and to new um, understanding of you and to um, a brighter path and a better future. You've done so much healing among us, and so we humbly come before you and say thank you. We also want to thank you for your word, for these ancient people who wrote down their experiences with you and are inspired by everything that you have done to keep this story alive so that we could sit here thousands of years later and read it, and study it, and get into the mindset of those people who walked with you, who were blessed by you, who were chastened by you, who were brought to repentance by you, and who were made to flourish by you. And so we ask that whatever it was that, that you did for them, whatever it was that you talked to them about and told them, and wherever you brought them, take us there as well. Change us. Give us a way of looking at your world and your scriptures that is new and fresh and life-changing. So thank you. Be with us. Amen. Okay, so we have been through Genesis before. If you were here about six or eight months ago, we ended like a year and a half study on Genesis. And so, oh, it was, it was arduous. Um, it was good, though. I enjoyed myself. I don't know about you guys. But... Um, but at that point, we were glad to see it end, and we just started a new book. So um, I'm going to be sort of doing a little bit of review stuff, because there's a lot of things in the creation narrative that is incredibly beautiful. Um, there are a lot of things there that hold so much weight and meaning about who we are, what we're doing here. They understood what we are doing here. They got it. Um, and so often, these ancient people who knew very little about anything... Um, knew so much more than we do about God and about us and about why we are here. So, um, I'm going to start where you do, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Um, there's a description here of 
particularly since we're talking about baptism, the subject is water. Um, And we're going to be looking at the language of how the water is described before God sort of gets involved, and then how it is described afterwards, because there's a stark difference, and it's beautiful. So it starts off here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So there's some language here uh, in the Hebrew that describes um, the waters as being formless and void. If you were here for Genesis, you'll remember that there is... um, a Hebrew phrase, which is tohu bohu, that, that formless and void. Um, and it rolls off the tongue, tohu bohu. And tohu means chaos, bohu means empty. Um, this is the ancient way of saying useless, meaningless. Chaos is the opposite of order. Things that are ordered have meaning and purpose. If I take um, any, any substance, either wood or metal, I can order it in a way that makes it useful. The waters that the Spirit was hovering over were none of that. They were useless. They were void. They were empty. There was no life, no purpose, no future. And so it is described as chaos and emptiness. Now, the Spirit of God is hovering there, and he sees it. And when he gets involved and he starts interacting with it, he makes some changes, and he starts moving some stuff around. And then we fast forward to verse 9 and 10, and it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the, uh, the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now, so the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaos, the meaninglessness, the purposeless void. And then he, 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 he acts, he dives in, and he gets involved, and he starts separating the land, rising it up, separating the waters. It says that he gathered the waters. The word for the gathering of the waters is this word mikvah. It means literally gathered water. But if you actually look at it in context of the ancient Hebrew scriptures, if you look at the meaning of it, the meaning of the word mikvah is also hope. And you need to ponder this for a second because this is very important. There was no hope before. It was chaos. It was meaningless. It was purposeless. In other words, there's no future. If there's no future, there's no hope. And so God sees it, and he's there, and he observes, and he plans, and he acts, and he separates. The, he gathers the waters and separates the land. And the land he makes to bear fruit and to be useful. And the waters he gathers together. He mikvahs, gathers together, and creates hope that all of this has a meaning and a purpose. It is not just formless and void. It has purpose. It has meaning. So um, I don't know about you, but when I read stuff like this, it's heavy. This is not... We tend to think of the book of Genesis as, oh, it's a description of the beginning. It's a description of God and us. It tells us more about God in the creation narrative than we really find anywhere else. It is an argument that we were created by a God who has future in mind, who has purpose, who acts when things are meaningless and useless. He's there hovering, waiting, and he acts, and he gets into the chaos, and he carves out a place for himself there, and he gets to work. What this is about is about the human heart. You and I have, have, have come from a life where 
there was this meaninglessness, and it was void, and it was empty, and God was there, and he hovered, and he entered into the chaos that was inside of us, the chaos in our heart, and our, our very souls, and our lives, and many of us still have parts of our lives that are chaotic, that don't make sense, that are purposeless. Maybe you are here today, and you feel like you don't know why you are here, not here as in this room, here as in, in this world, why you exist, what is your purpose why were you brought into existence? What is the meaning of all of it? Is there any meaning at all? Why are you doing what you're doing with your job? When you were younger, you had these plans, and it was going to be like this, and it was going to be amazing, and now here you are, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, and you're still waiting, and things still don't have meaning, and you're waiting. And the ancient Israelites, the writers, the compilers of Genesis would look to you and say, hey, we know that. We know that chaos. And God is hovering there. And he wants to act. He wants to get in, dive into it, and carve out a space for himself there to change something, to work. And there is this invitation that needs to be made, this space, this welcoming of the Spirit. And, and Scripture say it has a lot to do with several things, one of them being repentance. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about all this. Um, but from here, I want to I link this to... Um, again, a lot of the things that we talked about in Genesis, the idea of the temple. When the temple was constructed, it was made very much a reflection of creation in Genesis. Um, when you stepped inside the main gathering place, the Holy of Holies, it was decorated according to the book of um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It was decorated um, with foliage and trees on the walls, carved into it. And the sky was above. They, they painted and used a tapestry to replicate the sky. And everything there is meant to look like a representation of Genesis, of the creation of all things. Um, and it doesn't stop there. In fact, there was rules about entering into the temple. When you entered into the temple, like I talked about last week, you had to be ritually cleansed. Because outside of the temple... You have one way of interacting with God, and you're sinful, and, and the temple exists to take care of those things. And so the temple, in essence, is you stepping in and, and, and stepping into a new kind of relationship with God than the, your normal life. It's something new. It's different. And so in order to enter into this, you have to step into a ritual cleansing, a bath. You know what they called it? A mikvah, the gathering of the waters. It harkens back to Genesis when everything was chaotic. And it was bad, and he gathered the waters together. And it's not just that. There's a lot more to it than that. The mikvah, when they were constructing it, um, had to sort of mirror the construction of the gathering of the waters. In other words, water couldn't be drawn. It couldn't, you couldn't get a bucket, put it in a well, and bring it and pour it into the mikvah to fill it up. Um, it, had to, it, it couldn't be drawn. It had to flow. It had to, be, it had to be filled by the moving of lands. And so you would dig a tunnel. You would carve maybe a trough. Um, maybe there would be an underground sort of pipe. Um, I, I read up on, on this ancient mikvah that found here, and, and it actually connects underneath. Um, the waters had to flow naturally through the moving of land to replicate what God was doing. And another thing is, um, it had to be built so that it would hold exactly 40 measures of water. Obviously, that's, that's a very loaded number, the, the number 40 in Scriptures is, if you harken back to Genesis, it is the measure of time that the earth was completely baptized, if you will. That the earth, there was a time in Genesis, as the story goes, the earth once again became useless. 
It became sinful. It became dark. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of that darkness. And he acted and gathered 40 measures, 40 days of water and covered the earth and in essence baptized the earth to begin again. And the waters receded and God started things over. This is how the ancient Israelites look at God's interaction with human beings. God is in, is in the business of taking the broken things, of washing them clean and restarting them again. And so as you read through scriptures, there is this rhythm of cleansing and renewal, cleansing and renewal. And all of it, the language in all of it always points back to the gathering of the waters and God doing something new, entering into chaos, baptizing it, gathering the waters and bringing out something new, something good, some life. And it says, and he saw that it was good. That is who our God is, and that is who the Israelites believed he was, and that's what they were arguing about. Now, the 40 measures were not just um, the mikvah. It wasn't just the, um, the flood narrative. There is tons of places in scriptures where the writers wrote this in there, where it, it, it is all through it. And every time the people read it, they say, oh, there it is. Um, 40 measures, and this is only a fraction of them. There are tons more. Um, it's the amount of time that Moses spent on Sinai. It's the amount of time that people spent in the wilderness. It is the amount of days that Goliath taunted the nation. It is the amount of time that Jesus fasted in the desert. It's the amount of time that Jonah pronounced in Nineveh that destruction was about to come upon them. He says, in 40 days, destruction is going to come. And every single time that the measure of 40 is dealt out in scriptures, it always starts something new. It's the amount of time that Moses spent on Sinai before God acted and sent them apart and gave them a law and a name and an identity and made them his people. It's the amount of time that people spent in the wilderness wandering before God gave them the promised land. It is the amount of time, amount of days that Goliath taunted the nation before God rose up King David, whose lineage would lead straight to Jesus. It is the amount of time that Jesus fasted in the desert, and the very next passage after the fasting says that Jesus started his ministry. It was the start of the salvation of everything. It's the amount of time that Jonah pronounced in Nineveh that destruction is about to come upon you. Forty days from now, God's going to destroy your city. And what happened? The people repented, and the city was saved. It is always God gathering the waters for hope. Nothing is ever hopeless. Souls are not hopeless. People are not hopeless. There is always a God who can take what is there and what we see that looks so broken and dead. Maybe it's been in the ground for three days and God says, bring it back. It's not over. It's not done. The gathering of the 40 measures, of all, it's, it's hope. That's what Genesis is about. That's what all of the New Testament is about. It's all about hope. Now, um, let's change sort of gears here. Um, also, if you've been here a while, you've heard me talk ad nauseum, I'm sure you're sick of it, about um, the work that I have a brother named Scott, uh, he's doing in, in the jungles of Indonesia, specifically with a people called the Dao people. Um, they are indigenous people, they've been there for thousands and thousands of years. They have stories um, that go back a very long time. Um, they have their own currency made of carved seashells that are a couple thousand years old. <laughs> that they know how many there are, and they get past it. They're just a very ancient people. And they're very animistic. They're very pagan in their beliefs. So this set of arrows that is in this guy's hand here, I actually have this set of arrows in my office, this, I, this exact set. And the tips of each one of them, I have to be careful because I'm 
I think a couple of them might be poison, and who knows. Um, but the tips of the arrows are all different for hunting different things. There is one for hunting couscous, one for hunting snakes, one for hunting um, uh, deer. There's even one for hunting people because of tribal warfare. And they're about taller than me. They're about almost seven feet long. Um, and there's a particular arrow in there with a weird sort of um, a weird-shaped head on it, and it is um, a spirit arrow for killing spirits when they are terrified of of something going on around them. And this is very useful to them. They are very spiritual people. They believe that whenever they see a rainbow, you know, we run. I mean, no, we don't run. They run. We see the rainbow and we think, wow, that is just amazing. It's a sign of hope. It's good. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of, of God's redemption and not vengeance upon us. And, and then they look at it and they see a portal for the demons to travel to earth. And so they run and hide. And they shoot their spirit arrow at the rainbows. This is how they live. Uh, they actually don't go anywhere near the river that runs near their village. They're terrified of the river. Before they go draw water from it, they fire one of the spear arrows at it, and they run and they draw water from the river, and they run because there is apparently a female spirit that they believe lives in the water that if you spend time by the river, she will kill you. This goes back a very, very long time, and it's interesting, and it's kind of funny until you realize that, oh, holy cow, they don't bathe. They don't drink much. They, when they get cuts and burns, instead of going to the river and washing, they go to the fire pit and they pull some coal and they pull some um, soot out and they rub it into the cuts. And their life expectancy is about 30 years. A lot of us would be dead in their tribe. Uh, they don't even name their children until their children are about three years old because so many of them die. And so... The healing that they need is there. It's right there. But there was this sort of spiritual mindset that they could. And so when, when my brother and his wife, and they have four kids now, they just, last week they had a, another baby boy, um, four boys now, um, named, him, named him Boaz. So there's a Boaz Phillips apparently. That's weird. Um, and it's my brother. I can make fun. Um, and... Uh, they uh, are still working with these people. But when they brought the gospel there, they taught the people how to read and write their own language, invented an alphabet for them, translated the scriptures and other books into their um, tribe. And, and things started to change. First off, they no, no longer took part in the tribal warfare because they read the teachings of Jesus on turning the other cheek and loving your enemy and praying for them when you were persecuted. And so they don't fight back anymore. Um, and it's changed the relationship with all of the surrounding tribes. Secondly, they, they came to an understanding um, and a salvation knowledge of, of Jesus, and now they wanted to get baptized, but they had to literally face their demons. They had to go down to the water's edge, and they're terrified of getting baptized. Most of us are afraid of getting baptized for social reasons. They were literally terrified facing their demons, and they go down to the water's edge, and they step in, and they believe in hope, and they believe that God is powerful, and so they step in, and they start a new life, and now... There's literal healing taking place because they were sick and dying. But what happened? Well, like, like John the Baptist, they repented. Here's a picture. This is his wife and the children being washed and finding salvation, finding new life, a new way of being in the world. I mean, the things that kept them from repenting, from looking at the world differently, are not, the things we face are nothing compared to them. And they were brave and bold and said, I want to live in this new way. And the things that it did for them were incredible. Here's the thing. The water was always there. 
they always, it was always there. It's, it's very much a metaphor of, of God and us and our salvation. The salvation is always readily available. It's, it's, what, it's what the story that Jesus told with the prodigal son. He tells the older brother, look, everything you've ever wanted was always here. You just had to ask. It's there. Just reach out and take it. But they had these barriers that they couldn't. And God's desire is to bring down those barriers to allow you to step into the waters and, and exit a new person, a new life. To be drawn. God is drawing people to himself. He's saying, look, it's open. Now, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 3 because there's some interesting stuff here that, that we talk about with John the Baptist. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So, several things. The repent part. We talked about that a little bit last week. And this is, this is a huge deal. You want your life to change you have to be able to admit, like, look, this is not working. And change your mind. Walk a different path. It's very difficult. And the second thing he says is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The river's there. It's always been there. It's always been offered to you. The kingdom of God is wide open to you to take part in it and live in this new way of healing and reconciliation of grace. You don't have to take vengeance on your enemies. You can love them and show grace to them and enter into healing relationships with them. You don't have to live in this way that is terrified. You can be bold and, and, and understand that because Jesus was raised, so shall you be in every area of your life and death. It's, so it's, so it's, it's available. The kingdom is at hand. And this is for this... This is talking about Jesus. This is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Isaiah is this prophet that stood up and and he was really, really upset about the barriers that we put up and the barriers that we have to coming to a fully understanding of Jesus. So many barriers that some of them were put there by us. Some of them are put there by just old ideas that we hold that are passed down like the Tao tribe from ancient peoples. Uh, some of them are um, religious leaders have put up barriers between you and God and they're expecting you to jump through hoops and to, to become a certain way before God will accept you. And I want you to know that's a lie. It's not true. It was tried in the first century. Let's go back to the temple. So you'll see all these walls around the temple that are everywhere. Um, they all have a reason for being there. On the far outside, there's an area over here where people are sort of gathering. I know it's a little washed out. Sorry about that. That is called the Court of the Gentiles. It's the only place where people who were not Jew by birth, Jewish by birth, were allowed to go. They weren't allowed to come through this wall at all. They had to stand out there uh, and worship Yahweh from afar. They could see the temple. They knew what was going on there. They'd bring their sacrifices and hand them over, and they would just trust that they were being taken in. Now, a little farther in was the court of women, the only place the women could go. They couldn't go any closer. They couldn't walk, not walk through this first door here and enter into a, a closer um, proximity to where God was, the court of women. It, it separated them. And so... You get a little farther, sure, they let the men go even farther. They let the men go in this main gate here into the main area, the court of men. But again, they couldn't go any farther. That was saved for the priest, the court of priests, because the priests were super special and super spiritual. And they did the work of God, and they, had to, they were the only ones that could pass through here. But even the main place where God lived, only one priest a year could enter in to that place. And so there were these barriers 
And most of these barriers were not written about in Scripture. God's plan was that God's people would gather from everywhere in one place to worship, that there be no barrier between God and his people. No hoops to jump through. It's just, it's called grace. And so interestingly enough, on each one of these walls, there were these signs that would be up there that was threatening the people, do not pass these barriers if you are not qualified to come any closer. Do not. We actually, um, in the, let's see, in, the year, in, the, in 1871, archaeologists found sort of a, a bunch of these in one place, a bunch of these stones, that, these signs that were up in front of the barriers. And here's one here. Um, it's hard to read, plus it's not English. Uh, and it says, um, it says, No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for the death which will follow. So, it's passive-aggressive. It's like, look, we got this door. Don't go through it. If you do, uh, don't blame me for cutting you, okay? I'm just going to have to cut your head off. Don't blame me. It's your fault. It's your choice. <clears throat> okay. Okay, so these stones were not okay with Jesus or Paul or any of the apostles. And you can see it in scriptures that they were not happy with the state of affairs in the temple. Jesus had a lot to say about the temple. At one point, he's speaking to the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, very high up people in the temple. In Matthew 23, 13, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. And later in Mark chapter 11, he's in the temple. This is when he's flipping tables and, and causing trouble. Um, and he says this. Hold on. All right. It says, And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? My house shall be called a house of prayer. It's, it's, he's quoting an ancient prophet. They had always looked forward to the day when all this nonsense would be, just be gone. They knew it wasn't right. They knew God's people should be gathered together from all over the place. With all their flaws, the spiritual and the failures the rich and the poor, gathered in one place, um, and they could together all at, enter into the waters of baptism, of the mikvah, and they come out the other side in this new relationship with God. That it should be open to everyone. It should be open to you and to me. Paul writes um, to the church in Ephesus. He says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once we're far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The word, the word that is used there for dividing wall is a direct description of the dividing walls of the temple. Paul says these things should not exist. There's not levels of spirituality that, that allow God to draw near to you. God is there. In fact, the more chaos you have, God is there hovering over it saying, let me at it. Let me in. I want to do this. I want to dive in. Just, just say you want to change. Just repent. Please do this. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. It's available. It, you are so close to it. Reach out and take it. I want in. And he dives in and he gets to work. And so this is what baptism is. It's not some mystical thing that unlocks some spiritual gate. It's a, it's a proclamation. It's a public 
just calling out. It's an affirming of what is there. Like, I want this, and I'm going to do this publicly, and I want my people to see it. I want my, my church body, my family to see it. I want the healing. I want the change. I want the meaning and the purpose. I want God to enter into the chaos that is in here and to get to work and to order it and to organize it and to bear, so the land can bear fruit and the water can wash me whole. I want it all there. It's the story that's been told since the book of Genesis. It's all the same up to this point. And so that's what baptism is. And so one of the problems is we all have these barriers. We all do. Um, there's some reason why we don't want to get baptized. or some reason why we don't want to repent. There's some reason why we don't want to change. There's some reason why we don't want to just let the people around us know. Maybe a barrier of yours is your family and your friends. Sometimes we don't take the steps to change because of the things our family and our friends will say. There's always the I told you so's, the uh-huh, yeah, you need to change kind of thing that goes on. It's not right, it's not okay, but don't let that stop you. Put your pride aside. If things are not right, if things are not good, if you want to take that step, if, it's, if God is talking to you, he's been there for a while, he's been, hey, when are we going to get this right? When are we going to get on track? When are we going to change this? then you need to be baptized. You need to, you need to stand up in the room full of people. You need to say, guys, it's time for a new step. There will be none of that, I told you so, here. All we are telling you is grace, grace, grace. That's all any of us have. Because we are all sinners saved by that very grace. And we want to extend it to you. We want to say, we want to help you take that next step towards the healing in your family, in your life, in your friendships, in your relationships, all of it. Maybe you were here and you have a barrier that is... The barrier is your sin. There's things that you're struggling with and you've been struggling forever. And you tried to give it up maybe six, eight, ten years ago. And here you are still with that addiction, still with that struggle, still in that same place. And you don't feel like you can change. Like you can take steps towards God because God doesn't want you because the barrier is your sin. God wants to knock down that barrier. There is... No sin that can keep God from loving you and from diving into your life. And that's all God wants to do. He sees it. It's useless. It's chaos. And he's there looking at it saying, let me at it. I want to dive in. I want to get involved. And so if people have told you, if religious people have told you, you can't be used by God, you can't draw near to God, you can't be loved by God because of the sin in your life, I want to tell you they are lying to you. Each and every one of us is riddled with sin inside out. And the only thing we know about God is his grace. And so repent and call out and say, I want to change. Maybe a barrier that you have is your own faith. Maybe you were baptized as a child and it wasn't really for you. It was for your parents. It was for your family. It was for your church. Someone wanted to make an example of you and wanted to say, look who this is. They're baptized now. But it wasn't you. And maybe since you've grown up, that faith no longer really exists and it's changed. Maybe you've had kind of a, a, rough, a rough go at it and some stuff has been sort of taken from you and you aren't sure exactly how to look at God anymore and your faith has changed. Maybe you're just looking at, maybe you kind of know who God is now. You understand it now, things you never understood before. And maybe you just want to put a flag in that timeline and say, hey, I... I'm going to repent of my old way of thinking. I'm going to embrace this new way of thinking. And I'm going to move forward in my relationship with God. Baptism is a great step for you. Maybe you just aren't sure. And, and maybe you have a lot of questions. 
but you agree with the things that Jesus said. Now, that this is a better way. You need to be baptized. Let them in. Open it up. Be, be vulnerable before the people here, and we will hold you to it. We'll dive into your life with, with God as the hands and feet of God, and, and we want to help you go to work to change, to put on that new path to repent. Um, the waters have been gathered for you. So whatever it is that, that you bring to the table, God sees it. He is there. He wants to change it. And so if you're interested in being baptized in a few weeks, October 25th, um, write your name on that piece of paper out there. I, it's not because if you don't write your name on the paper, you can't get baptized. I just want to know how many people there are so we can plan right and not ruin everyone's morning. I don't know. Things get weird. Um, uh, we just want to know how many people there are, and we want to be praying for you ahead of time, and maybe we want to reach out to you, and, and, uh, or you can sign up on the city. There's a post there. We'd like to know if, you, if you're interested in being baptized. Um, but we're going set, to set aside some time to do that because the people here need to see what God is doing in the hearts and minds of people around us. They need to see what's happening in the body of Christ. We want to be a part of it. And so pray about it. Why don't we take communion, our communion servers. You guys can go ahead and um, gather the elements back there and, and bring them around and gather them around the room. Um, it's very simple. There's, there's bread that is broken, and it symbolizes the body of Christ broken for all of us. There's wine and glass, and, and the wine symbolizes the blood of Christ broken, uh, spilled out for all of us. Despite all of our differences in ideas about all these finer little points of Scripture, um, if you put out the bread and the wine, the Christians line up and we take it because there is unity in the body of Christ because we all agree the body and the blood of Christ broken and poured out for the salvation of the world is the answer. Followed by the resurrection. And so we gather every single time to take communion, to worship God and to affirm that this is what we all need. This is what the world needs for us, for God to pour himself on us and for us to pour ourselves out on others. So with that, let's pray. Let's take some time of repentance. Maybe you should think of the the ways that you have set up barriers between you and God. You can't let God touch this part of your life for whatever reason. What is that barrier? Name it, get in the open, let God tear it down. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for meeting us here. Change us. Work in hearts, work in minds. Grow us uh, towards you. You are a good, holy God. And you look upon um, a room full of, of, of sinners and you see your children. And you love us. And there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more or less. And we rest in that. Be with us as we take communion. Help us to fully repent of the things that we need to repent of, the ways that we have not lived, but up, lived up to the calling of which we have been given, the ways that we have taken part in the destruction of our world, the ways that we have taken part in the breaking down of relationships and the separation of, of, of you and us. And help us to take part in the healing and the resurrection. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.